Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today, in a bumper episode recorded at C21's Content London earlier this month, we hear from Britbox's Rima Sarkhan and Deirdre Santa about the UK streamer's original content push. While YouTube's Luke Hyam, TFN's Julian de Groot, History's Amy Savitsky, Red Bull's Bernadette McDade, Smithsonian's James Blue and Nat Geo's Simon Rakes discuss their unscripted commissioning plans for 2022. C21's Content London took place recently, with over 130 speakers and 1,300 delegates descending on the UK capital for the sellout development market's return as a physical event for the first time since the pandemic. Senior executives, producers, writers and talent from all around the world convened at the King's Place Conference Centre to get a glimpse of the hottest new shows, discuss how the business has changed in the past 18 months and the way things are shaping up for 2022. BritBox International Chief Executive Rima Sarkhan and Chief Creative Officer Deirdre Santa spoke to Emma Bullimore about their plans for more original content and co-productions over the coming 18 months. Rima, um, t- just over two years since BritBox launched in the UK, which feels, I mean, it's just flown by. How do you feel BritBox has done establishing itself in the UK? How much of a challenge has that been over here, do you think? Yeah, it's been two years since the um, UK launch. I mean, as people say, or no one says, you know, time flies while you're having fun in streaming. Um, It's gone so unbelievably quickly. Um, We're four and a half years old um, globally. And so uh, launched in the US 2017, Canada 2018, UK 2019, Australia 2020 and South Africa in 2021. Um, And yeah, um, thinking about the UK, I think it's, you know, Uh, established itself really well into the very, very crowded UK ecosystem, particularly amongst British uh, content. And, you know, by the end of its first year, it um, had got half a million subs under its belt, continues to grow and has had a really um, strong story of originals, um, which is is key uh, to the the UK business. Um, So with Spitting Image and then its scripted projects, um, Beast Must Die, um, some docs, uh, Secrets of the Craze, um, and then uh, just uh, the last couple of weeks, Crime, which is uh, a pan-territory Britbox original. Um, uh, and so that's one that will be taken sort of uh, in, all, in all Britbox territories. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the things that we can really start to look forward to. Um, uh, we handle the two sides of Britbox, the UK business and the international business slightly separately because they are um, different commercial structures in terms of their joint venture ownership. Um, I've worked across both, but now in the international CEO role, just look after um, everything ex-UK, as does Deirdre. But along with um, the BBC, ITV, all other UK broadcasters, what Britbox UK Um, poses for us in the future is a really strong co-production and commissioning partner and uh, and we do a lot of those um, connected projects so um, you know a a place for producers to bring um, more ideas and more shows and and hopefully one that we can connect and and take everywhere. And I mean it's such an interesting proposition I think for viewers because you have got this incredible back catalogue and also the originals 
uh, and more and more originals going forward. Diedrich, how important will the originals be for Britbox as we go forward? I think increasingly important. You know, in, in, in all the iterations of Britbox, whether it's Britbox UK or the international platforms that Rima were just, was just outlining, uh, there's a really sort of deep and broad catalogue of old and new British shows, but increasingly to compete, increasingly to bring us subscribers, we're thinking about originals, whether that's um, co-productions that we're, we're joining early on in production, whether it's pre-sales, you know, finished shows that we're, we're, we're getting into and doing territory premieres of. And we're even starting to um, develop some of our own shows, some of our own originals where we'll be the, 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 the leading commissioner. Um, but yeah, incredibly important originals. Because I know, for instance, Crime is doing massive business fee right now, isn't it? Yeah, Crime is doing really well for Britbox UK. Uh, it's 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 launched in Australia now as well. We, we're having it on other other platforms early next year. Superb. Now, what was it about that show that you thought, yes, that is a Britbox project? Well, it's 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 a bit before my time, but distinctive. It's uh, it's got points of access in terms of casting and the fact that it's a, a crime show, um, but it's got a uniqueness that makes it a streamer show. It's from the voice of Irvin Welsh. It's 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 like nothing else, wouldn't you say, Rima? Yeah, and and you know, it's Irvin's first project for television. Um, and when he and Dugray brought it to us, you know, just sort of their excitement uh, about it and wanting it to sort of sit in a uh, really revered place, and so you know, surrounded by. Uh, all of the icons of, of British drama. That that's um, it's one of the things that that you know we do on Britbox is just make sure that everything on the service sort of has a coherence to it. And and particularly you know when you're presenting it to an international audience, um, it sits amongst the the best of British. Um, and so yeah, uh, it was a it was an irresistible project and just a, a joy to work with the team actually. If you look at some of your big originals, Spitting Image, Beast Must Die, Crime, they're very different. So for people who are interested in, in you know, working with you, what are you looking for? What brings those things together? Is, are you trying to aim at a certain audience or what is it that you're looking for, Rima? Yeah, and that's, that's some of the work that we do in terms of, okay, what, would it, what does it take to cut through in the UK where British is the mainstream and what makes a sort of international Britbox show and certainly you know to cut through in the UK that really is about um, creating big noisy events so that's where things like Spitting Image and um, and certainly crime uh, generated from and they had to have a real point of difference as to you know why you might not find them um, on a on a network having said that those things can travel also and so for um, you know, really high quality, thriller-based, contemporary British drama that's, you know, um, well-scripted, well-written, cast well. So, um, you know, uh, the likes of, uh, of Dugray, you know, have uh, a face that travels internationally. And so there's lots of work that we do to say, OK, well, how do you create something that feels very standout, distinctively British and authentic, and also one that um, has real mileage? Diedrich, you're relatively new to the team. Can you outline a bit your role and, and, and your role in this process? 
Yeah, I start actually. I start, I'm three months tomorrow uh, in 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 the role. So my job is to think about you know all the territories that we're in, and I'm particularly interested in what those sort of bigger bigger bets are. What those 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 pieces that will work for all of our platforms. I guess the highest common denominator. So that tends to be inscripted. That's where our our big bets are, but we're also thinking about factual entertainment, about live events, about comedy, all kinds of things. But scripted drama, scripted comedy is the thing that I'm looking at um, the most. Each territory is a little bit different, so I have to think about that. You know, in, in the US, the service has been, uh, the US and Canada, the service has been really built on a really strong stable of mystery shows, you know, whether that's Death in Paradise or Vera or Shetland, um, you know, building out from that now, sort of consolidating through crime titles into, into other genres. In Australia, there's perhaps a slight skew towards comedy. Mum has done really well for us in Australia. So I'm thinking about the, 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 the kind of shows that will work um, a, a, across our platforms that present the best of British. And so sometimes that will be co-productions. I'm thinking a lot and talking to commissioners at BBC and ITV and other UK broadcasters. What have they got coming through that we could get involved with early? Uh, and as I said earlier, um, thinking about uh, uh, some originals too. I think it's important for us to try to project modern Britain. And I think that's another reason why we want to do originals and new shows. You know, there's a, what we absolutely don't want BritBox to be is a nostalgia service or, you know, when we're, when we're heading into other countries, it just be about, you know, double-decker buses and, 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 and red phone boxes. It's, it's, about, it's about modern Britain um, and uh, trying to find uh, the, 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 the best creatives, best production companies, the best talent, uh, the best stories um, in those areas. So my days are spent talking to producers, reading scripts, talking to distributors, and talking to the teams around the world and thinking, well, what, will, what can we find that will work best for us? And you know, when we leverage the uh, investment that each of those platforms can bring, it, it, it becomes quite a compelling conversation with the producers and the distributors. How fundamental is that? Britishness element. For instance, there's a question here, are you open to working with an American writer if it's in conjunction with British partners? Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, well, is should a Britbox show be set in Britain? Probably. Should it feature British cast and characters? Probably. Should it be made by British creatives? Probably. But there's going to be exceptions to that. You know, we've got a terrific show Murder in Provence, which is uh, launching next year. Uh, British cast, led by Roger Allen, um, British writer, Sheila Stevenson, but it's set in France and with French characters. Um, but it feels distinctively British. I mean, there's no reason why an American production company couldn't do a piece set in Britain, why there couldn't be a character for another country living in Britain, the story in Britain. There's, there's different ways of cutting it, but you know, the clue is in the first <laughs> syllable of the name. 
Rima, where do you stand on that? How, how do you balance that? Yeah, I agree. I think we've got, you know, a really strong slate of iconically British shows that are set elsewhere. So you definitely couldn't set, you know, whether it's Death in Paradise or, um, you know, Poirot. I mean, it's it, it, you couldn't necessarily uh, draw the lines geographically in that sense. I think there is a distinctive British creative style, writing style, production style. That's something that we know that people seek out when they come to us. So those are the sorts of codes that we're looking for. But the creative community that kind of brings us to brings those to us and, and how we cast um, those projects, I think we've got a really, really open mind uh, to. And, and as content just becomes so much more global uh, and a, there's a bit more osmosis between uh, types of programming then I think you can be you, you know you're forced to be much more open-minded but making sure that it has its kind of heart and anchor in what we know you know the quality codes that um, people come to us for is really key. And this question here about sort of nuts and bolts Rima how many Britbox originals per year is the question do you do you have numbers like that or is it just how many good ideas arrive? <laughs> Well, exactly. Um, so that's we were, we were talking about this just yesterday. If only it was as kind of simple science as that. I mean, you know, we look for uh, a, a whole slate of significant major product projects, whether or not they're co-productions or originals. You know, we, we will have launched over 50 last year and that's in total. So that isn't to say that's how many that uh, we're looking for, but I would say, you know, at least one per month needs to be a big major noisy show. And so that's what we try and sort of organize ourselves around uh, whether or not they're, you know, fully funded uh, originals. One of the projects we've got coming up in the new year, um, it's called Why Didn't They Ask Evans? It's um, a, a Christie adaptation um, by Hugh Laurie, um, who's directing it and through Mammoth. Um, and that's something that came to us as a, you know, as an opportunity that we, you know, we grabbed internationally um, uh, straight away as a pure original. But lots of our uh, other major projects will come through as co-productions with both BBC and ITV, some of which, like Murder in Provence, we originated and took to the network and some of which the networks will bring to us. So um, I suppose if you had to, you know, put a gun to my head, 12 to 15 major projects each year. I know you're very excited about Evans, aren't you, Diedrich? Yeah, I am. It, it's, ter it's terrific. You know, Hugh Laurie uh, adapted it and directed it and as you'd expect you know it's Agatha Christie on the one hand so there's a great mystery but it's Hugh Laurie it's it's, it's funny it's irreverent Will Poulter Lucy Boynton cameos from Jim Broadbent Emma Thompson Paul Whitehouse uh it's 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 great fun actually and uh and you know a bit of a bit of a spectacle we're really proud of it at what point can people come to you how interested are you in development or do you take things on at a later stage and, and can you describe that relationship there's no right time to bring us a project. You know, it could be that a project has 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 is you know is fully is is fully finished, and you know we 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 see it and we acquire it. We're trying to get further ahead. You know, we're trying to get, uh, as I said earlier, thinking about co-productions. But I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at scripts with or without attachments. I'm looking at one or two treatments as well. I I you know having been a producer myself for for, for many years. I sort of want to leave it to producers to have a think about what the right time to show an idea is. You know, it might be that it's just, you know, a pitch line. It might be that it's a script with a stack of attachments. It's 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 hard to say. What 
whatever you feel as a producer best um, articulates your idea and, um, you know, not so early that you don't know what it is and not so late that it's sort of disappeared uh, and it's sort of fully made before it's even begun. And practically speaking, question here, just best way to pitch to you? To yeah, well, yeah. I mean, right now um, I'm, uh, I'm currently hiring. Uh, it's currently uh, content for uh, BritBox International globally is, is, is just me. So, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of work out my uh, email address or you can find me on social media. Um, uh, yeah, it's me. I'm the guy. Just 24 hours going through those. 24 hours, <laughs> yeah. I never, it never stops. Yeah, never stops. <laughs> Rima, um, obviously Diedrich was saying that, you know, scripted is, is kind of the bulk, but there is a question here about how you feel about unscripted ideas. Um, yeah, I think one of the really fascinating things about BritBox from day one has been that it's been a multi-genre proposition and that has been uh, really the heart of the appeal. Um, uh, and so, you know, we talk about, everything from you know history to mystery comedy to cookery uh so it covers the full gamut of um uh, of british genres and i think that gives us a real opportunity um as did it says you know and most broadcast channels and services the engine room of that sits in scripted and for us the engine of that sits within uh, within drama, but there are really um, interesting pockets that, particularly in streaming, you can uh, soak up discrete groups of subscribers. So um, comedy, factual entertainment, um, factual in the kind of umbrella of British passions uh, and pastimes. In some regions, um, we also have um, film, so British film and one-off film. Um, I guess the only thing I would probably say that we're not doing at the moment, things like kids, news, sport. So it, we draw the line sort of within entertainment. Um, but, uh, you know, we've, we have real have had real success with um, events and live events, things like gardening, uh, really powerful for us, Gardeners World, Chelsea Flower Show, which we do. Uh, we stream out live and, and build a sort of as live channel around it um, allow us to create these really fantastic sort of events around iconically British moments. Um, and so we're really open uh, to that. Obviously, they add texture to the service and mean that not everything has to be a kind of, uh, you know, a full scripted uh, drama to be able to be a, a, a beacon to attract subscribers. So we're very, very open to those. And how challenging is it? I'll ask Cedric this as well, but it is a really crowded marketplace. How challenging is it for you to make sure that BritBox stands out in that space? Um, I mean, it's the main it's the main thing we have to do to um, survive and thrive. Um, I think, you know, we were a very small player internationally when we entered the market. And I think what we've learned um, really clearly is that having such a distinctive proposition, particularly in the crowded international market, which is dominated by um, US players and US content, really sets, sets you apart and makes you stand out. So I think, you know, maintaining our distinctiveness in that space, you know, the strength of the BBC and ITV and, and other distributor catalogues behind that means that we've got sort of unrivaled scale and breadth and depth. But you absolutely need those firework projects that uh, will come along to really make you stand out and keep you relevant. Um, and so it's about adding to the uh, sort of unrivaled depth and breadth 
of, of catalogue with the new, as we say, predominantly within scripted, but we are a multi-genre service. And, and as we see the sort of hits um, and, and popular culture phenomena is really created out of um, all genres at the moment. So um, we're really open to that. But so far, you know, sticking to our knitting um, has worked really well. So we don't want to get too distracted by the competition. Deidre, I mean, you've been involved in basically the biggest show in, in the country, uh, you know, so you know what it takes. What excites you about this job? What excites you about BritBox going forward? It, it, it just feels like a really good time. As Rima says, it's a, it's a really clear proposition, you know, the best of British. And the, the global audience is tuning into British, whether that's, you know, the breadcrumbs of Downton Abbey, Broadchurch, Sherlock. It feels that international eyeballs are kind of more attuned to British content than ever. You know, we have this relationship with BBC and ITV. Uh, I, I like the fact that, you know, when we invest in uh, a British show, um, we're sort of, you know, we're recycling... We're recycling the money within the UK creative community. We're helping to support the, um, the public service broadcasters in the UK. We're working with the best of British talent. So it, it just feels like a, that was kind of what, what appealed to me, was finding a new way of working with, you know, on the best British shows with the best British uh, creatives. And, and the chance to work for a, an expanding streamer with, you know, a, a decent war chest and a great war chest and big global plans. You know, we, we, we hope to expand quickly beyond the territories that we've been talking about. Um, you know, we, 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 we're, we're, you know, we're building out from those territories. So it's a really exciting expansion project. So much more to come. Lots of questions here. Is there a particular demographic you're trying to attract? For example, would you be interested in doing young adults? Uh, we want every demographic to come to BritBox. Probably young adult isn't where we're at right now. As, as, as I, th I think thinking about, particularly thinking about not just mystery and crime, but building out from those areas, it's a bit of a leap into, into YA. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out further down the line, but that's not something we're looking at right now. Okay. Rima, does British content for you include Scottish, Welsh, even Irish? That's a question. Absolutely. Um, so uh, we've got projects underway uh, in all of those, uh, have, I believe. So yeah, um, it is. It's the full British Isles, and um, yeah, uh, and that would in include uh, Ireland. There's a couple of Irish projects that I think we're looking at. A question here, Rima: Does BritBox prefer IP over original ideas? Oh, that's a really good one. I mean, um, you know, the things that you really learn are just the importance of familiarity. Um, and that really ties back to that question of cut through. And that can come from lots of places. You borrow that from uh, existing IP, franchises, spin-offs, uh, reboots. Uh, you borrow that from the, you know, world of adaptation and literature, if that's relevant or from uh, from the way you cast and um, and sort of populate a brand new original show, and so I think um, I think the central um, the central sort of organising thought in there is around what's the jump off point that you're giving audiences to come in to, um, and that doesn't always have to be familiar. It can be very new, but with a 
familiar face that is an access point or it can be a, a very familiar genre uh, approach but with a very uh, a different uh, different twist to it and so uh, so I do think those familiar touch points are very important but I wouldn't trade you know existing IP or, or a franchise off for um, a new original because I think uh, you know you want you have to be open to all of those. Tedrick question here. What are you looking for in an international co-production? What would be a perfect BritBox co-pro? Well, you know, there's a, f- there's a few that we've got lined up that we can't talk about. And <laughs> if we were doing this in a couple of months, I would be able to give you a few more um, uh, uh, sort of takes on that. I think audiences internationally like sort of British authenticity. That's, you know, when we sort of talk to our audience and do research, that's you know, auth- authentic is a word we hear a lot. And I think what, there's different ways of interpreting that, but what I take that to mean is a sort of relatability, a kind of real world quality. So, but the key, the key question for me is, is it fantastic? Is it a brilliant show? Am I excited about it? Do, do I want other people to watch it? Uh, does it say something interesting about the world that we're living in? Are there universals to be found in this specific British story. Um, and you know, one thing that I think is important to say about BritBox as a, as a co-pro partner is we embrace the British. You know, as a, in my time as a producer, I sometimes got into a bit of a stress when I was working for a UK broadcaster and an American broadcaster, because sometimes there was a requirement to maybe culturally desaturate the show in order that it had an international appeal. And that's absolutely not where we, we are. We, we find the universal in the specific. So a specific, brilliantly told, authentic British story. Amazing. And, and a similar question from someone else but saying, are you overseeing both UK commissioning and international? I'm not overseeing UK okay. commissioning right now. That's Kaylee Jealous, but I am doing international. Fantastic. Um, uh, lots of questions. I'm trying to squeeze them in. Uh, period genre, yes or no, Diedrich? Yes. Yes. Excellent. That's good. Um, and uh, Rima, you, we mentioned about Scotland, Wales. Someone says, how about Falklands and the Shetlands? Oh, um, uh, well, the Shetlands very successfully so far, so we would love more Shetlands. Uh, Falklands is very interesting, could be. Yeah, yeah leave, leave it with me, leave it with me. <laughs> Non-English language projects? Uh, well, I, I was talking to uh, a colleague in Wales recently, and there's an interesting conversation. I mean, there are some shows that are filmed, I forget the phrase that they use, but there's a sort of a kind of doubling up where... Um, you know, Welsh language, English language. Well, Welsh is a British language, so uh, we'd certainly think, think about that in the right title. Excellent. And any advice for new writers? That's clearly a very broad question, but as, you know, you've worked with writers, what would the key bit of advice be, do you think? Just write. Strong advice. Just write. I mean, I mean write what you know. Um, keep at it. It's, 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 you know, so many knockbacks for writers, but keep, you know, keep writing, keep at it. And if at first you don't succeed, keep trying. We're so close to time, but Rima, I'd like to give you the final word. How excited are you for BritBox going forward and what can we look forward to? I mean, I think it's just an amazing time, you know, a bit as Deirdre was saying, amazing time to be in streaming. And for us, you know, we're still early years, but, you know, nearly five years in and the next five years is really critical in terms of both growth into new markets, not... You know, we're not talking about Netflix's 190. It will be really, you know, carefully selected 
collection as we have done, but it will be a content fueled uh, plan, which means really kind of doubling down our investment into UK and British content. And, and really that is, is the virtuous circle that makes both the expansion work and investment back into, you know, more UK production. So, um, yeah, as Deirdre said, sort of, I think his first slate will be ready the other side of Christmas, so we'll be able to come and, and talk to you about it, but also building out the team that, you know, fuels that um, global expansion behind the content. Uh, it will be a really fun time. Thank you so much for joining us, even though the odds are stacked against you. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Diedrich. And thank you for your questions as well. Thank you for coming. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Emma. Britbox's Rima Sakan and Deirdre Santa speaking with Emma Bullimore as part of C21's Content London. Luke Hyams, Head of Originals for YouTube in the EMEA region, spoke to me about his focus on unscripted, upcoming projects and the kind of shows he's looking out for. For some people who may be coming to, to Content London for the first time, they might not know that Google's headquarters are just around the corner. In fact, one of the reasons or boosts that were delivered to the whole area around King's Cross was because Google decided to put its UK HQ there about five years ago. Are you, are you working from there these days, given what's happened in the 18 months that we've yeah, just been I am. through? Yeah, I am. I'm happy to be back in there. Most of the team are coming in um, on sort of alternate days. Um, and, you know, we've just found um, as much as, you know, we soldiered on and when we had a good, you know, we enjoyed, we were very productive during lockdown to be able to get back in a room together, particularly when you're talking about creative things and reviewing material to, to be able to look at people's body language and just feel the energy in the room has been so different. And um, we've been really lucky, honestly. We have managed to keep all our uh, productions on the tracks. We've managed to commission new things that were sort of um, producible during the whole lockdown period um, and stuff that we felt was important to do like um, last year we were in a great we had a sort of great epiphany that everybody was going to be in the house for new years and that maybe you know um, as much as we love Jules and his hootney there might be something for on YouTube for YouTube viewers that might be exciting. So we, we decided that it was the right moment to do a New Year's special. We brought together a lot of the you know great and the good from YouTube in the UK um, to celebrate the new year. And so it's great to be in a position where we can react to what's going on in the world, um, and particularly what's been going on in the last 18 months, to make content that feels like um, it, it is stepping up at the right moment. And it was at this very event about four years ago that the sort of word filtered through from the US that YouTube was moving out of the, the, uh, the scripted space and its originals and focusing on, on unscripted. And that's been your kind of mission ever since. Um, so how's that, how's that journey been? And, and you know, you, you've talked a little bit about, you know, how you navigated the past 18 months, but um, how did that kind of set back that strategy or help inform it? Well, honestly, that move was about us uh, going more towards doing stuff that felt like it was a closer relation to the stuff that was already working on YouTube. And in partnership that with that was the move to go and put all our stuff on the free side of the paywall, which is something that I personally campaigned for for, for, for a long time because you know YouTube had always, since its inception, had been this thing where you could see content for free. 
And so, um, you know, the idea of a paywall where the shows the shows live behind, it just didn't really match up with 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 what we were trying to put out with YouTube as a, a brand, particularly when we were doing stuff that felt like it had a load of purpose on it. To put it behind the paywall was was quite challenging for me. So yes, we we moved away from scripted because scripted was a key thing that you know doing the paywall allowed us to afford, and we moved into unscripted. And, and honestly. Um, I feel like, you know, it's a cliche, but we never really look back. You know, if you could sort of pick out a few common threads amongst those shows, what, you know, defines a, a YouTube show? I mean, I think that a lot of them have their creative uh, inspiration or inception based around uh, something that is already working for YouTube audiences. And then, you know, to take a sort of step forward from that, the thing that's really exciting to us is to find, um, you know, uh, talent, creators, producers, ideas that feel intrinsically British, but that have the, the potential to actually go global and, and reach the huge audience that you can reach on YouTube all around the world. So those, those are the sort of kind of main filters that we look at when we're, when we're choosing ideas. You talk about the Britishness of it, but obviously you're overseeing an EMEA team as well. So what about what's going on in other countries? Well, I'm really excited to be making some shows in uh, sub-Saharan Africa next year. We've got a couple of things um, that we have commissioned. We're about to announce soon. So that's really exciting. We've done shows in Germany and France before, and I hope we will again in the future. But, but right now for 2022, the plan is to really um, continue the great work we've been doing in the UK to work with incredible companies and talent to make stuff that feels right for the YouTube audience and then just start that process again in, in SSA because there's so much talent down there, so much audience and lots and lots to celebrate. What are your major commissioning months and what's the most important for you in the things that you see in, in pitch material? I mean, the, the major commissioning months are January, February, March, April, May, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're always on, we're always uh, excited to hear ideas, um, particularly for things that feel like, um, well, like, I guess the, you know, the main thing I wanna put across is like, what really we found in the last year has worked for us is when there is a big moment in the real world that we can make a YouTube original that feels um, like it is connected to it timely. Like um, it, we did a, a five hour Pride special last summer to sort of celebrate Pride and also because so many of the Pride celebrations due to COVID were canceled. So that was something that was really exciting for us. And you know, when it's time for the World Cup, we, when we wanna do something that feels like it is celebrating the fact that football is huge on YouTube at, at that time. And, and when we did, uh, and our show Seat at the Table was all about doing something that could um, resonate when there was the conversation going on about COP26 and the climate crisis. So those are really things, you know, rather than specific months, you know, we're always looking for stuff and we're always looking for that reason of why this show at, at this particular time. Sustainability, racial injustice, coping with mental health, those are all themes that um, you, you've referenced previously in terms of, again, things that you're, you're particularly keen on. Yeah, and we've, we've had some shows that we're really proud of in, in these, um, it, it, we, that are sort of based on these commissioning desires. Just yesterday we released a trailer for our new show with Manya Chihuahua, Race Around Britain, which uh, his company and expect expectation entertainment made that sees him go on a journey around the UK to really start to ask the difficult questions 
about British identity and, and the way it's evolving right now um, and about our relationship with black culture as a nation. Um, so that's a great example of something we're doing in terms of uh, racial injustice that is fun and entertaining. And, you know, we, we're definitely still looking for stuff that takes sustainability in interesting directions. And, um, you know, mental health is, is something that, you know, we just find with all the research that we do is something that people are really, really concerned about. You know, there's a, a huge rise in talking about mental health, in awareness about various different com conditions. And, you know, when we can have a scenario where a, a talent wants to open up about this and show... Um, you know, what they do to cope. We find that really exciting. We did a documentary with the renowned films last year about how Anne-Marie, the pop star, coped through uh, the pandemic, you know, and also how she um, has, has taken measures to be able to cope as a pop star, you know. She, she had one particular bit of the documentary and of the pitch that came in beforehand was this idea that after she did an incredible big show at the O2, she always has to go backstage and immediately do a jigsaw puzzle because that just helps her just get leveled out and just back in away from the big performance space and the, the tension and the anxiety of that back just down to her and back inside her thoughts. And I thought that was fascinating. And I think stuff like that that shows people different ways to cope is, is a really wonderful thing to be able to commission. And is YouTube talent key to every pitch as well? Um, being, you, having a talent attached? I'll be real with you. YouTube talent has never been more key for us. Um, particularly UK YouTube talent. Particularly YouTube talent who we feel has a bright future. Um, you know, we've done a bunch of stuff with celebrities before and we will continue to do so. But really the priority is is what can we do to help YouTube talent who are putting the work in, you know, how can they partner with a great producer or set of producers and take it to the next level in terms of ambition funded by us? So are you, are you the one that's kind of identifying the talent and then seeking out the producers or producers can come to you? How, how does that I, I mean? It's I, different I, I every wish, time, presumably. But. You know, the best thing, <clears throat> one of the best things about this job is every, it used to be every day, maybe it's not every day now, but... Um, very, very regularly, definitely once a week, I get a pitch in and it's with some huge YouTuber from the UK that I've never even heard of. Because my um, experience of YouTube is so narrow to the things that I love and the things that we're working on. And so it's great when a producer comes in and goes, hey, have you heard of these people here? This is really exciting. We should do something like that. So I, really though, it's a balance. You know, There are people that we've identified that are really exciting. Um, and also to be able to let producers tell us, hey, this person is, is interesting for these reasons is also a really good thing too. There's quite a lot of questions coming here on Slido. Apologies if no one's using the app and actually wants to ask a question in a physical hands-up kind of a way. There is an opportunity for that. Is there any hands there in the audience? I've got plenty here on the app otherwise. We've got one at the back there. Hi, uh, this is Francesca from Anyway Content. I'm just wondering how best you like to receive pitch materials. Like, do you like one-liners first, treatments, full sizzle? What are you What are you looking for? In a um, pitch? We're really into uh, one-liners that describe uh, the idea, with another line underneath it that says about the talent that you have in mind and whether or not you've spoken to the talent. You know, um, it, it, things can move a lot quicker if uh, the producers have a relationship with the talent or have reached out in some way, 
we can go the other way and definitely, you know, sometimes even facilitate the introduction. But I think it's always really useful to just be able to convey that with the idea at the beginning. So that's what we prefer. So a question here. Um, are there any sort of genres that you're not interested in? That's, that's quite... Okay, so... Is dating, is that one that you're, no, you're kind of... No, I no. get so many great dating pitches. Dating is, is hard for us. It feels like a, something for um, more for like the other networks or terrestrial channels to do. True crime, we get amazing true crime pitches that I would love to watch, but I then see Take Flight elsewhere. Um, game shows hasn't, you know, traditional game shows hasn't been something for us. Um, and, and honestly, anything that just feels too formatted and episodic, we really want to do stuff that feels like, hey, there's a big event in a moment, and then we move on to the next thing, you know? Just the idea of getting everybody to come back uh, week after week to see a formatted thing, um, it, it doesn't feel like the, the right way to spend our money right now. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing we get millions of that are great but we can't or, or action is travel logs without a purpose you know we get a lot of travel logs a lot of travel logs that are connected to food that would be amazing to watch but um not not really a great fit for us right now i think when we were talking before you you were sort of saying in terms of your greatest challenges kind of moving forwards it's it's reaching a broader kind of audience i mean can you just sort of yeah i think explain that a little yeah, bit i think that's the challenge to producers really and that's one of the key things that you know i wanted to come here and talk about is you know we've had a we've had a really good run of making shows that are youtube famous right things that are you know we identify um an audience area a demographic on youtube um we make a show that's catered for them they love it on youtube and and that's basically it in terms of its its reach you know that sometimes we've had other different types of ways to break through but i think moving forward i think it would be good for us to you know continue to do that but also do some stuff that has the potential to break through more into the kind of um you know, water cooler conversations people are having alongside some of the other great unscripted um, that, that people are enjoying right now. So that's what we, you know, we really want to find those big ambitious um, pieces that have the potential to get people talking as well as out in the mainstream, as well as just the core audiences on YouTube. Is that kind of a platform question, though? Because I guess one of the things that you also see sometimes is that YouTubers who make it big on YouTube for some reason, they want to go across to television. And, and you know, because that perhaps, does, does TV still kind of, you know, as, as a broadcast medium, it still has that kind of cachet, does it not, for, for, for some YouTubers? And, you know, how is that um, sort of relationship of between the two? I mean, definitely for some of them. And it is always, you know, people used to always ask me a question like, oh, so-and-so is just doing a Channel 4 show. Like, they're taking your talent. I'm like, no, no, no. It's not our talent. This is an open platform. People can make videos, put them up. Um, you know, however they like. And I think it's great that we have those success stories where people move from producing their own content on YouTube to getting a great big, um, you know, opportunity on terrestrial TV or another platform. That's, you know, it just further solidifies YouTube as a, as a launch pad. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, for, for us, we feel like as a platform, we, we see the data. There are so many people that visit YouTube every single day. 
um, the, the opportunity is there to reach a, a huge audience, both here and around the world. We just have to come right with the right shows and the right talent to get people talking. Financial question. So, you know, what are your models in terms of commissions? Are you, are you fully funding? Are you co-producing? And, you know, are the budgets sort of on a par with, I don't know, something that might be seen in, in broadcast or in SVOD? Yeah, man. So uh, we are fully funding. And, um, you know, uh, that's, I mean, that's basically the, the plan for next year, at least. We're open to conversations if everyone's got anyone's got a bright idea. But you know, we, any partnership we would do, we'd have to make sure that the YouTube Originals brand that we're trying to establish with the audience, you know, still remains um, front and center. And in terms of of investment, you know, we we want people to be ambitious as possible. We have different kind of tiers, and you know, I, I used to come out and always say that you know, where we were at was kind of like prime time terrestrial plus additional funds for, for the right talent. Um, and I think, you know, that's a that's still a great area sort of target to shoot at, but we're very aware that it's a competitive landscape and we're very aware that producers might have ideas that are just a little bit more ambitious. And so if, if that happens, we can rise and, and maybe find a bit more money. But we really, you know, for 2022, we just want people to start at a place where they're like, oh, this is ridiculous, they'll never do it, and then let's work our way back down. Kids content, you have a specific fund that was set up a couple of years ago for that, about 100 million, I think it was, so you know, um, what's the latest on that, and you know, what are you looking for in that area as well? The, the latest on that is that um, we, you know, we've got some, some great stuff coming through, and we've got a great team on that as well, um, and... Um, you know, essentially, we are trying to create content that feels like it, it gives value and inspires confidence in parents to sit their kids down in front of the YouTube Kids app. So we really want to do stuff that feels like it's um, edifying and inspirational to kids. And, you know, a couple of examples, like, for instance, we've got two shows launching on Friday that are both... Um, is extrapolation the right word? I don't know. They're both versions of things that have already been really successful on YouTube. The first is um, a show called Buster Saves Christmas, which um, I don't know if anyone has very young children, but um, there, there has been a kind of a character Buster who is a lovely little yellow bus. He has emerged out of um, wheels on the bus videos. I don't know if anyone's got young children in here, but Buster has emerged. And so... You know, as originals, we saw that this character um, had been developed from Wheels in the Bus, was incredibly popular. And so now he's going on a festive adventure to save Christmas. So it's a great example of something that is kind of evolving on YouTube. And then we step in to do something bigger with a much bigger animation budget than they normally have because the audience is there. And then the second one is um, a prequel series to a YouTube soccer show called um, Super Strikers. And the it's Super Strikers rookie season. And so what we're doing here is we're, we're sort of going back before the team, were, everybody was on the team to sort of show how they started out in football, how they got on the team. So again, it's uh, an opportunity for us to do something that is complementary to all of the Super Striker videos that are already out there. And we've also partnered with UNICEF on that one. Um, and within the writing process, they gave us... Um, 
a, a really helpful steer on some of the main things they're trying to communicate to young people that we were able to work into the plot. So, yeah, two examples. One, a sort of Christmas romp. The other, a, a football um, animation with um, definitely a lot of purpose to it. So those are the type of things we're excited about. You know, if there's something wonderful that kids are enjoying on YouTube that can be grown into something bigger, we're, we're all ears. We'd love to hear about it. And just going back to a seat at the table, that was a, a show that you mentioned at the top, ran recently around COP26. So um, how did you get access and how did that sort of show come about? You know? um, uh, we, were, we were introduced to, to Silverback, um, uh, you know, great production company with incredible uh, sort of uh, history of making great shows that, you know, help us understand the, you know, both the natural world and the climate crisis. And um, it was just one of those wonderful things where they'd already done some work with Jack Harris, who's a very established YouTuber who turned into a climate activist. And they, you know, they were basically, they had this idea about a journey to COP26. You know, they, they wanted to do something that would allow the unheard voices from around the world um, to have their kind of moment at COP um, where people would, you know, the world leaders would get to hear from them. So they, they basically had a series that saw Jack go from this, on a journey from the Silly Isles to, to um, Glasgow, sort of exploring climate problems and solutions here in the UK with young people. And then we had a sort of parallel thing where people from around the world who, you know, like for instance on the City Isles episode, we, we met this girl from the Maldives who the island where she was born is now underwater and she's only like 30 years old. So it was a great opportunity to have these kind of parallel stories which we would then deliver at, at COP26. And, you know, really, uh, you know, a big moment like that, it really serves us well to have a piece of content that we can be proud about, that we can go big with um, and really celebrate. So, you know, that's something for producers to think about, you know, what is coming up that, you know, we might want to do something um, uh, to a piece of entertainment that could coincide with, the, with, with any of the big events that are coming. We're definitely open to suggestion on that. Obviously, we're not through the pandemic, as we all, as we all know. But um, in terms of uh, the, the way that you're kind of developing things and you're strategizing things over the next 12 months, what do you see as the major challenges and opportunities? Um, I, I think, you know, for us, the challenges are um, to be able to, to still do stuff that resonates with, with young people and the things they care mm. about. And to also, um, you know, so much of what we do relies on data. And, you know, for us to partner with uh, somebody like Manya Chihuahua, who is definitely at the beginning of his journey, it is a tougher ask than to partner with some other talent who are more established. So I think, for, you know, for us, the continued challenge internally at YouTube will be, you know, how can we, um, you know, continue to like listen to the data, but also listen to our gut and listen to what producers tell us about the ideas and the talent that are important that maybe don't have the right data case to support them. And, um, yeah, I mean, you talk about the competition that you face potentially. I mean, it's, it's in terms of originals, it's competition from non-original productions on, on, you know, from all of the YouTubers that are out there and yeah. in the rest of the YouTube universe. TikTok as well is, has yeah. also made an impact, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think with YouTube, making shows for YouTube is a gift and a curse because 
a thousand videos are uploaded every second. There is so much choice there. Um, you know, just in, on, you know, before you get to everything else that's going on in the world, there's an incredible amount of choice on YouTube and a incredible amount of innovation as well. And so for us, uh, you know, it is a challenge for us to keep up. And that's, that's why it kind of is a, is a great place to work and a great place for people to produce things for because we really do have to keep on our toes and really have to be tough about what will work on the platform, what will stand out, what will make the right kind of noise. YouTube's Luke Hyam speaking with me as part of C21's Content London. Senior execs from TFR, History, Red Bull Studios and Smithsonian Channel discussed their unscripted commissioning strategies for the coming year, plus co-development and co-financing opportunities. TFR Group Head of Content Development Julien de Groot, History Senior Vice President of Development and Programming Amy Savitsky, Red Bull Studios Managing Director and Creative Lead Bernadette McDade, Smithsonian Channel Chief James Blue and National Geographic International Commissioning Editor Simon Rakes spoke to C21 Media Chair Mark Rowland. So welcome everybody. Um, Simon, if we could kick off with you. Um, I, I mean, obviously, National Geographic, in a sense, the clue is still in the title. But it would be very good to know what, at the moment, you're defining the international channels as, and, of course, what you're looking for. So, um, the thing about Nat Geo International is that it is... Uh, <coughs> it's a really interesting proposition, because we have, I would say... Oh, is my mic on? Yeah. It is, yeah. We, 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 have, um, a re we have an audience who know what they like. Um, and what they like is broadly in the fields of engineering, ancient history, archaeology, and adventure. Um, but what they also like is a new approach to these territories. So we are constantly on the lookout for what we call new wine in old bottles. <laughs> um, so we're constantly on the hunt for new ways into our stalwart territories of programming. So uh, what, what is a new angle on World War II? How can we do Egypt differently? Um, how can we tell one of the big engineering stories through a new prism? Um, and generally, that boils down to two things. It's either a new talent or it is a piece of access. So that's broad brush terms, um, the way we tend to think about, about our content. There are sort of a few pragmatic things um, that we worry about as well. We are absolutely after returnable and repeatable series rather than limited series and singles. So we're after a brand that can really land in season one and then we can renew it, season two, season three, season four. And just to give you an example of, of brands like that that have worked really well for us, we're in season probably about a million and something of Air Crash Investigation, which has been <laughs> doing great numbers for us and still doing great numbers for us. Um, we're not quite into the millions, but we're at least in the 500,000s um, <laughs> with Primal Survivor um, and also uh, Locked Up Abroad. Uh, again, two great examples of shows that really rate in return for us. Um, we're after things broadly that are not formatted, um, but feel authentic. So generally, we tend to do 
access-based docs or host-led docs. Uh, we don't do competitions. We don't do shiny floor shows. Um, what we're after is trying to get into the real world. And, and the, world that, the worlds that interest us tend to be outdoors, not indoors. They tend to be aspirational places. They tend to be places which lend themselves to epic, adventuresome photography, either present tense or in archive. Um, we're, we're not into kind of smoke-filled rooms, uh, corridors, uh, indoors setups, etc., etc. Um, one final thing to add for what we're looking for is um, w one show that has done really well. It, it came out of the London office, but transmitted uh, on the global channels and international channels um, as an event piece was 9-11, uh, One Day in America. And I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it's an absolutely captivating, extraordinary, compelling, page-turning um, archive documentary. Um, that has turned lots of heads within our organization, and we are wondering if there is a similar piece that we could do that's not returnable and repeatable, but could really land on our international channels. Simon, thank you very much. We'll come back a little later to discuss um, the terms upon which you'd like those fine programs. Yep. Um, I think now it, we should go to Amy in New York. Good morning. Uh, sorry you're not with us here in person. Delighted you're, to have us there. Um, again, if I can start off with really the very straightforward question, you know, at the moment, what is history and what shows are you most looking for at present? Well, thank you for having me. I'm kind of sad not to be there too. Um, and yes, it's very early here, so my brain is still kicking into gear. Um, yeah, what is history right now? History is a really exciting place to be. I would say that over the past um, few years at least, we have returned to core history, if you will, um, really telling stories anchored in true history. You know, there was a period of time um, several years ago, I think all of the male factual channels in the U.S. were chasing what I would call male reality shows to a lot of success there for, you know, across the board. Um, and we still have some of those legacy shows on our air multiple seasons in that are doing quite well for us. But we made a very conscious decision a few years ago to get back to core history. Um, and we have been commissioning that way, again, for a couple of years now. Um, so... You know, similar, we are mostly not looking for limited series. Um, uh, here and there, you know, we have commissioned a series of presidential megadocs. Um, Grant has aired, Washington has aired. We are waiting for Lincoln and very excited about it. Um, we have uh, Teddy Roosevelt coming. So um, in that respect, we will do limited series when it's a, on a megadoc level. But for the most part, our remit right now is looking for fresh ways into history um, that are in close-ended, returnable formats. So for history, you know, what is a fresh way in? Well, there, there are a couple ways. Um, yes, sometimes it is talent-led, not as often. Um, here and there, we've been really using a lot of um, partnerships with um, celebrity um, in the U.S. to front some of our shows. For example, Morgan Freeman in the Great Escape series that we just launched um, and we have Lawrence Fishburne and History's Greatest Mysteries, who are the talent who are leading our, our viewers through those stories. Um, another way is really working hard to figure out a way, new ways to visualize history and bring it to life in a way that feels um, visceral and contemporary for our audience. Um, so we've been working with some really great partners on 
exactly how we do that. You see a little bit of it in the Morgan Freeman series where we have put him inside of these different prisons as he is navigating us through the escape story. Um, and yeah, that that's, I'll stop there. I can, I could keep going, but in general, that's where we're at. Okay. And, and in terms of the big talent led pieces, are you then looking for producers to come with that talent attached? Or if a producer comes with a cracking idea, is it at that point that with the channel, you'd, you'd partner with talent? You know, it's worked both ways, but for the most part, we've started with the idea. What is the idea? Now, in the case of, of Morgan, that is that series is produced by Morgan's company. So that kind of came in all together with Morgan in tow. With some of our other series, though, we start with the idea first and then look around for the talent that feels like the right match. You know, one thing I, I did forget to mention that I want to say, because it's become two things that have become a really important part of our commissioning strategy. We are looking more and more for global stories. So after the presidential series, um, you know, have, have sort of wrapped, we have turned our attention to Rome, ancient China. Um, we are looking at, you know, Africa for stories. We are looking for stories other than U.S. centric stories um, and ancient history. So that's a, a bit of a difference for us. And it's really exciting. Um, the other thing I want to add is that across the board with all of this, we have increased our commitment to looking for diverse stories to tell, not just diverse stories within U.S. history, but within global history as well. So I just want to make sure that that's clear because it's become a very important piece of our strategy. Amy, for the moment, thank you very much indeed. James, to you. Um, Smithsonian. Well, thank you for uh, having us here and uh, giving me a chance to talk about what we're doing with our brand. Uh, I think many of you are familiar with the Smithsonian Channel, but in the course of the last year, uh, it's undergone many, many changes. The most important of which is we are now part of the MTV Entertainment Group, which really places us in the heart of the sort of program making and original series within uh, the Viacom CBS family. And I think what that has done is really just supercharged our ability to do ambitious and important programming. So like uh, what my colleagues have said, we are very interested in repeatable series that can come back and forth over many seasons. I think where we are interested in is telling um, stories that, that can be told from different points of view. Um, and it's very clear that for a very long time, the Smithsonian Channel has had a very narrow window into the world. And I think one of the things that I find really exciting is broadening the mix and really showing and really having different points of view. So one of the things that uh, is the result of that, um, sort of widening the aperture, is we are doing a very big series um, called The Thousand Years of Slavery, which we began in conjunction with Channel 5 here in the UK. Another benefit of the fact that we're now part of a much larger global um, organization. And the US version of this uh, four-part limited series is uh, it's being executive produced by Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance. And so talent is really, really much more important to us. We believe that attaching talent and using the resources of MTV, Viacom, CBS, we can find ways to bring people into the tent who otherwise not, might not um, necessarily take a look at what we've done or what we're doing. Uh, we're very interested in trying to find new angles and new perspectives on things that we may know. 
So uh, I know there's a show uh, that was done here in the UK recently about the six Chinese survivors of the Titanic. That is a wonderful example of how to re-examine something that we're all familiar with through different eyes. I think our greatest strength, and it's something that we are doubling down on, we are the televisual outlet and brand of the world's largest research institution. I mean, just think about that. We have access to their entire sort of uh, IP that we can turn that into television, documentaries, uh, you know, podcasts, digital things. And I think um, we are very, very interested in figuring out what we can do with that relationship. Our brand equity completely comes from our relationship with the Smithsonian. Rather than running away from it, we're really embracing it. And I think you will continue to see additional uh, programming and series that come out of that relationship. And we really think that can uh, do wonders for us. If you're an independent producer pitching to you, and actually you want to, to get that relationship with the Smithsonian, to find out what's there that they might then develop into a show. Is there, an, is there a mechanism to that? Just ring up different parts of the Smithsonian and, and, and talk to them? You know, it, it, have you thought that about... Yeah, no, look, I think the best way to pitch to us is to bring us an idea that you think might work within this new context, and then we will sort of figure out how and where there may be alignment with the institution. There are like 21 museums, 19 institutes, and I mean, there's a lot, there's a vast array of opportunities. And, you know, part of my job is both dealing with all of the, um, develop, uh, the production community, but also dealing with all of the members of the Smithsonian and just really trying to make those relationships work. Again, I think it's a wonderful opportunity, it's a, it creates a brand difference. And if you think about, um, you know, there are a lot of things and there's a lot of noise out there, especially at this moment when, you know, um, there's a real sort of challenge between, like, what's, what's real, what's true, you know, can we believe this? The Smithsonian is rock solid. And so we believe that that is going to provide us a wonderful path uh, to create uh, interesting and arresting programming. In terms of the specific areas that we're really trying to think hard about, uh, natural history. Uh, I'm really interested in natural history. I've spent lots of time in Southern Africa. My children were born in Johannesburg. Um, and if you think about it, natural history is one sort of genre that for some reason very seldom includes the people who live adjacent to the animals. I don't know why that is. And if any of you have been on safari or have been in those regions of the world, the relationship between people who live locally and the animals is quite strong, but that never really makes it into the storytelling. Um, another area that we're really trying to figure out is what is the right way to tell history um, to younger audiences? Uh, when I worked at PBS, we had a really big program um, working with schools. Uh, I also wear the hat. I'm the senior vice president of M MTV News and Docs. And so this is one of the places where there's a bit of crossover, trying to figure out what is the right way to create programming uh, for people who only know about what's in their feed. So with that, I'll turn it back. Thank you very much. Now I think we should go to Paris.
Hello, Julien. And, and in a moment, we will also talk about the relationship between a major broadcaster like TF1 and the streamers and the kind of deal shapes. But before we do that, creatively, what's on your to-do list at the moment? What are the gaps? What are the, the genres and the approaches that you're looking to, uh, to fill at the moment? I would say, actually, all genres. Uh, why? Because um, years ago, we decided to invest massively, of course, on TF1, but also on our DTT channels. And so um, today, I work for three national free-to-air uh, channels, of course, TF1, TMC, and TFX. And so um, uh, it was the idea to have many ways to address different uh, targets, and so then to, uh, to get different genres uh, to reach these different targets. So... To give you an idea, uh, every evening on prime time, uh, we reach uh, uh, 6.5 million viewers on all different channels. So uh, we manage the first, the fourth, and the seventh national channels in France with uh, TF1, TMC, and TFX. And so when we talk to 6.5 million viewers every evening, we need to to have broad, large uh, family um, shows. And so then I would say... uh, Regarding the genres, we have maybe different uh, targets regarding the channel. So for TF1, it's a broad, shiny floor shows uh, and some game shows, but mainly shows like Dancing with the Stars, Bass Singers, Ninja Warrior, Survival, uh, The Voice, District Z. So these kind of shows we have uh, on TF1. On TMC, it's more uh, docu-series. Uh, and I will talk later about one example that we have co-produced um, uh, with Netflix. Uh, and on TFX, TFX is a kind of, um, it's our young skewing channel. It's a kind of ITV2 uh, channel 4 kind of channel. And so on this channel, we are targeting young adults, teenagers. Um, and so we have shows like Reality on Access uh, Prime Time, uh, daily, daily slots. We have uh, mostly factual entertainment on Prime Time, shows like um, uh, shows like uh, OCC, we are about to launch, uh, tattoo, tattoo Fixers, uh, How to Look Good Naked, uh, Sort Your Life Out, uh, the Alpha Media um, format that we are producing right now. So it's, that's mainly, I would say, the, the, the kind of shows we are looking at. We have a studio head here from a brand new studio. Um, Red Bull, I'm sure we have a sort of concept of Red Bull through sports and through its branded entertainment. Uh, Bernadette, great to have you here. Love to learn a bit more about what you know your new role and your new entity entails. Yeah. So Rebel Studios has been in operation about 16 months now, so we're a relatively new kid on the block. And I think what's important to note is we are not branded content. So the whole idea behind the company is, of course, there's Rebel Media Network, which you guys know and love, all the incredible sports and extreme sports and stunts that they do so well and have basically invented that genre themselves. Um, Rebel Studios is completely separate from that. We're not part of the beverage. We're not part of the marketing function. The idea is that in success in 10, 15 years' time, um, we'll be the equivalent of, say, Fox Studios or MGM Studios. So there'll be two parallel businesses, um, the world's number one tasty beverage, and, uh, and then on the other side, this content studio. So some of the advantages that, that we have is that we have a very different 
business model. We develop, uh, we commission, we finance, and we distribute. So oftentimes our partners are production companies where they'll bring us third-party ideas that will either fully finance or co-produce. When we co-produce, we will find the other half of that funding. So it's not, you know, here's £2.50 and then you have to raise a million yourself. If we're in, regardless of the percentage, we will help you find the rest of that money. Because our goal, idealistic as it sounds, is we want to see great ideas get made. Um, One of the other things that differentiates us is because we're not branded and we're platform agnostic, we're not making content for Red Bull TV. We're making content to actively partner with Smithsonian, with National Geographic, with Disney Plus and the like. And um, you know, part of the reason for that is because we want exposure, we want reach, and we want to win awards. So that means that our remit in terms of genre can be a lot broader as long as it conforms to our brand voice. Um, which is, you know, kind of uplifting, aspirational, inspirational. Doesn't mean that we, excuse me, doesn't mean that we can't do gritty and dark stories, but we're not going to do something that's going to end with everybody depressed. You know, because frankly, I think we can all depress ourselves. We don't need to watch content to do that for us. At least that's my philosophy. Um, so, you know, it makes us a really valuable asset both to production companies and to broadcasters and streamers because we're arriving to the table with money. Now, some projects that we already have in production that are fully funded, for example, they're projects that we're willing to take the risk on because we believe it conforms to Red Bull idea of giving people opportunity. And then we pretty confident it will sell at the end, but not a lot of companies are in a position to do that. And one thing I think is, is, is quite um, telling, uh, we are open to competitive reality shows as long as it's kind of reinventing and it's the next stage of what they can be. You know, it's not the, the usual structure and tropes that have become a bit um, overused. Um, we can fund stuff that, that we believe in. Um, and Red Bull genuinely believes in giving people wings. When I first arrived, I kind of like rolled my eyes, but they do believe it, and it's actually quite sweet. <laughs> so, you know, like one of our first commissions was finishing funds uh, for a film that we knew we weren't going to make any money on, but this producer had spent £500,000 of his own money to make this film because he believed in it, and he was just short like a few hundred grand to get it finished. So... We wanted to help him achieve his dream, so we funded it. Now, was that a good business decision? No. (laughs) But, you know, in terms of that philosophy, it does fit. And then on the broadcaster partnership side, so, for example, Simon and I I used to work together at National Geographic. Um, You know, if we have an anchor territory, or excuse me, if an idea has an anchor territory, then we can fund it and take rest of the world. Um, you know, we operate like a, a network, important to note, we're not just a financier. So we work ver- we're very involved with the development of ideas. And I think it's helpful to say the kind of things we're not looking for, as opposed to the things we are, because sometimes that gets a little bit too prescriptive. Um, and basically, you know, there's a couple of, couple of must-haves for all the ideas. For us, a, a killer story or a really imaginative format, that's just the starting point. The two additional things we're looking for is what's the hook? 
you know, in a, in a world where you've got literally three seconds to get someone's attention, you know, if you have a billboard in Times Square, what is that one image and what are those five words that sells your idea? And if you can't do that, it's probably because your idea is not unique enough. It's a really good exercise and it's a good lens as, as part of development. And then the second thing, that's, or the third thing rather, that's equally as important as the idea is what, how is it being executed? Like, what's the innovation and execution? And that doesn't mean that it necessarily has to be some madly expensive groundbreaking technology. It can be as simple as just a shift in perspective. You know, the who or what perspective a story is being told from. Um, There was a really terrible film on Austrian public television about a river going through the, the country um, you know, I think watching paint dry was probably more interesting. But one of the things that stayed with me is what made it stand out is they told this, the history, the story of the history of this river from the river's point of view. So it was just that slight little move to the side. There's a couple... Um, oh, sorry, I didn't tell you the things we're not going to look for after Centerwood. Um If you keep in mind our brand voice, that aspirational and inspirational, that clearly we're not going to do stuff that's salacious. We're not going to do stuff that's kind of negative baiting, um, you know, drawing out the worst in humanity uh, character traits. That's just not us. Tonally, we we just avoid that stuff. So we're not going to do murder shows that we feel are exploitative. For example, you know, if it's an investigative show and it's very high end and there's a different way in, we might consider it. But that kind of churn, we're not going to do. Again, because we're not filming a network, we're only interested in premium, we're only interested in high-end, we're only interested in the stuff that's going to get reached, going to get awards, and it's been talked about. Um, So drugs, we wouldn't do uh, anything like a gritty show, like Intervention, brilliant as it was. Uh, We wouldn't do something like that. So you get the idea. It's pretty easy. Interestingly, that you talk about natural history, A key thing to point out about Red Bull Studios is when you think of Red Bull as a brand, what they do is they celebrate how incredible humans are, right? Both their physical capacity, their resilience, their mental capacity. And that's what our stories lean into also. So we will never do natural history because animals, that's not our our world. All our stories are always going to be people-centric. It certainly sounds to me like, you know, probably if we stayed here another 15 minutes, there's a range of deals we could strike, probably in the room. Well, Simon and I have already... In fact, I could now move to... And what deals have you been doing on the panel in the green room? No, look, uh, fascinating. Um, Simon, again, now looking at the deal structures, um, you know, is what Bernadette said appealing, or does actually Nat- National Geographic want to own the world, all rights, all the time? Well, that's the very interesting tension, isn't it? Because um, we all want the world. Um, but that means we're having to be ever craftier um, about the kind of deals that we do. And I would say even in the last kind of two or three years, the sophistication at which we now look at what a chunk of rights might be, what is a unit of rights, it's not just a territory, it's not even just a window, because now you've got a layer of VOD and SVOD in there as well. That gives you another dimension to talk about rights. So our view is that uh, for international we have not got a big enough pot that we can fully fund and wholly commission absolutely everything we want to put on air. And a decent chunk of what we do put on our air is co-produced. And we are prepared to do deals with pretty much anyone if we can do the right deal. Um, you hear it here first. Yeah. Um, so so we have, we've, we've done deals with our 
competitors. And we're happy to do that, provided that we can find an editorial sweet spot. So it's clear that there's not going to be kind of World War III being fought in the cutting room. Um, that the product is absolutely within the borders of the yellow box, so on brand for us, um, and that the deal makes financial sense. If it ticks those three boxes, then we, we will deal. We, we've had discu discussions with, not a deal yet, with Netflix, but we've dealt with Channel 4, with Discovery. Bernie and I are talking constantly, and my colleagues in America are also talking with you, uh, and I'm sure one day there will, there will be a deal. Um, James, I don't think that we've yet done a deal, but um, historically, our two organizations deal with each other. Um, so, yeah. Um, and what I would say is you can either come to us with looking for the kind of primary injection of cash, so think of us as the kind of the, the key instigating broadcaster, or if you've already got most of your finance plan sorted out and you're looking for some top-up money, then come to us under those circumstances as well. I'd, I'd like to bring Amy in at this point. I mean, uh, I, mean I, can, I can see there's obviously like a sort of five-way co-production potentially going here from, <laughs> from, 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 from Simon. How does it look from your point of view? Are you, are you as happy to collaborate? I love the way Simon talks. Everybody wants to own the world. I, I love it. Um, yes, you know, I will say we predominantly do full commissions and we do, you know, historically have owned and exploited our content around the world. I should add just so the group there knows that I, my remit is primarily for History Channel US. Um, so, so that's where my commissioning purview is. But we work very closely with our international teams and we we funnel a lot of our programming to our history channels around the world, which are run by local teams, but very close collaboration. So again, like I'm primarily looking for a US audience. Um, that being said, especially with projects that are at the higher end of budgets, um, yes, we are more and more open to co-productions and other kinds of financial arrangements beyond straight commission. Julian de Groot, Amy Savitsky, Bernadette McDade, James Blue and Simon Rakes talking with Mark Rowland as part of C21's Content London. You can hear the full version of that session by tuning into the weekly review show on our C21 FM internet radio station or, if you're a pro subscriber, watch the video on our site. There'll be more from the event in the podcast next week and on C21 FM from Monday. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.